When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into episode 135 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. The Sources Say Podcast is presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations. That's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Remember that regular dental appointments are important for your overall health. You can learn more and make an appointment at justicedental.com. Dr. Justice and Dr. Thompson look forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, we have a little bit of a new opening today. Yeah, uh, completely different. Still fantastic on my end, though. That's great. Yeah, we're uh, very grateful to be joined by Justice Dental moving forward. They are our title sponsor, so very excited to build that relationship with them. And please, please go see them. They do phenomenal work, and we are very grateful for our partnership moving forward. Now... On That's to the our, good stuff. Is that our first title sponsor? It is our first. We've had we've had a ton of kind of mid roll sponsors over the months and years. So uh, very cool to finally have our first title sponsor. They're wanting to join us for the basketball season and and really get into the nitty gritty with everything with us. So man, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? It is. That is great news, and uh, definitely glad to have them on board with us for sure. One heck of a start for them to join the show, Sean, as Kentucky falls in Baton Rouge 65-60. to 60. It is a game that um, there's, there's a lot to be happy about and things to be optimistic about, but probably a whole lot more to be down the dumps over and, uh, uh, and a little bit uh, frustrated about. And then we're going to talk through those things. We're going to talk the good, the bad, the ugly, and the really ugly that happened down in Baton Rouge. Um, let's just kind of start with overall takeaways to start with. 65-60 Kentucky Falls kind of ends their uh, big momentum push after their four-game winning streak of, of winning every game by twenty-seven, at least 27 points, averaging uh, 33.7 points win over that over that stretch I believe so they, I mean they were cooking with fire things were going incredibly well and uh and and things just kind of uh, sizzled out a little bit in Baton Rouge Sean it did and uh, honestly this this is the game we're going to talk a lot about we're going to dive into the good we're going to dive into the bad but the end of the day whenever this podcast is over with and you and you move on and get ready for Georgia throw this thing out the window and do not use it as an assessment tool mm-hmm. for this team. That's, that's going to be my main takeaway. That's my main thing that I want to start this podcast with. They're, 
there's a lot to digest. There's a lot to talk about, but there are some good, there's some good, uh, there's some bad, but at the end of the day that this isn't an assessment tool because it, it's not an accurate assessment, Jack. Uh, they didn't have their point guard for the last 36 minutes of the game. Ty ties down for a lot in that second half stretch. Uh, and we'll get into exactly why I think that that was just uh, hard for Kentucky to overcome. Yeah, that's kind of the the biggest takeaway is the injuries and the in the cramping that Ty Ty dealt with. Kentucky was missing its starting backcourt for uh, the majority of the game. It did miss its starting point guard for 36 minutes. He he uh, got knocked out by Efton Reed on a uh, on a screen at about mid court. He falls to the ground in very clear pain. I mean, just really shaken up, Sean. He he was on the ground for a couple minutes and and uh, just that he kind of sat up there and you could see tears kind of streaming down his eyes. Very clearly not himself, just kind of dazed and confused. He finally gets up uh, and, and trainers have to help him off the floor. He gets help back to the locker room, but you could tell just looking at his eyes uh, that he just was not all there. And it's a very uh, you you could tell that there there could very very well be a concussion issue or something of of that sort uh, that this isn't just a you know he got his bell rung and needed a couple minutes to uh, kind of readjust a little bit and get back in the game this is very clearly a uh, something a little bit more significant the severity of it I think we're going to find out tonight during the John Calipari coaches show or at least uh, some semblance of an update last night John Calipari yeah. after the game had no idea what was going on during the uh, Call-in radio show with uh, with Tom Leach after the game, the post-game show. He had no idea what was going on. So really and, no idea what's going on. Yeah, and I believe that too, especially with them being on the road. They, they don't have that cooling-off period like they get at home uh, where the away team goes first on Zoom. I mean, it was, a, it was a quick Zoom too. I mean, it was right into it as soon as the game was over. But, yeah, with Savir – Anytime you're you're not have anytime you don't have a lower body injury and you got to have help off the floor that that's not good and he he certainly looked like it he maybe may have been concussed uh, hopefully he's able to go Saturday I know that's a big game for him playing against Georgia uh, but they they missed him you saw the first play of the game Ty Ty Washington hits that corner three it was all off of Savier uh, Wheeler paint touch where he gets to the baseline kicks the thing out. Just having his presence on the floor last night would have made a significant difference because it would have allowed Tata to stay at the two and off the ball, where I think he's best. Uh, but not having Savir force Tata on the ball, which kind of takes him out of that scoring mentality mode that he's been so good at in recent games and recent weeks. And then when you lose him, it throws everybody out of sorts. And I sent you some clips today that just showed how, how out of sorts Kentucky was offensively in that final 10 to 12 minutes. Well, you address the elephant in the room, so it's time to uh, dive right in with that because uh, it was one uh, polarizing night, I believe is the best way to call it, Sean, because there was no in-between, I think, with the fan base in terms of opinions on how last night unfolded. It was either... This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Kentucky's a garbage team. I can't believe that Cal's fire Cal. He is no he's the worst X's and O's in-game coach I've ever seen in my life. And there's also the other extreme of people going, uh, what are you talking about? Kentucky was missing its two uh, starting guards. The, their starting backcourt was out. You're being dramatic. Uh, this is just a, a, a speed bump in the road. Quit being, you know, quit making such a big deal out of nothing. There was there was no in-between there with the fan base. And I think that's a very sick 
very serious issue that something that uh, this extremism is something that we've had to deal with, especially last season with, uh, you know, the 9-16 season and what they've been through in, in recent years and, and all that. Uh, I think that's something that uh, I, I think it's time to address and, and understand something with this fan base is that you can – you can acknowledge that the on-court production that we're seeing with our own two eyes as it's happening is an unacceptable product, that the things that are going on on the floor are not up to Kentucky basketball standard. It is also acceptable to acknowledge that a long-term uh, kind of a, a feel for this team and, and making long, a long-term assessment of of what this team can be if it's a Final Four team and those sorts of so those sorts of things, those are not mutually exclusive. You can say that not that scoring three minutes in eleven minutes and forty ish seconds or whatever it is 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 unacceptable. It's okay to say that Kellen Grady not taking a shot the final eleven minutes of the game after uh, absolutely lighting the world on fire to open the second half is unacceptable. It's okay to say little individual moments of games and stretches of games are unacceptable and inexcusable, but still have long-term optimism for this team. I think that's something that fans uh, – I said something to the effect on Twitter of, of – uh uh, it's it, Kentucky scores three points in 11 minutes, uh, largest lead of the day after Kellen's made three with 13:06 to go. Uh, they led by nine points, 50 to 41, and then from there they don't score uh, until LSU goes on a 20 to three run uh, until Jacob Toppin goes, uh, I think, hits a free throw with 2:25 to go, and then Davion Mintz knocked down two free throws to kind of end that that big run, the 20-3 to three run, uh, with 152 to go, it's okay to – I put out something that said that it's inexcusable for Kentucky to not score more than one basket and three total points in that stretch. And, Sean, fans were just lighting me up saying, are you kidding me? Kentucky's at, without its best uh, best two guards. It's starting backcourt, uh, and they're in a hostile environment against the number one defense in the country, and, and you have the audacity to, to question that Kentucky was unable to score a point. And it's – and like – it kind of got me thinking, like, am I being too hard on this team? But then, like, the more I'm thinking about it, it's like, Sean, this is a high major blue blood program in college basketball. I don't care if they're missing their, their two starting guards. It's okay to say that three points in 11 minutes and 40 seconds, just under 12 minutes, is unacceptable. Like, I, I don't know why – where fans have just accepted that, okay, well – a couple little sm little things happened throughout the game that led to that moment, and, well, I guess the rest of the game just screwed. Kentucky was in position to win the game at the end of it, so clearly, you know, why was that last two minutes okay because they were finally able to start scoring? Nothing had changed in that stretch. How come the last two minutes are acceptable but the previous 12 minutes before are? So that's that's kind of where my head was at. I know that's a lot throwing at you in that moment, but I, that's just kind of my own personal vent session was was just the extremisms with the fan base last night. How there was just no in between. It was either uh, John Calipari is the worst coach in the history of all time, or uh, Kentucky is every everything's fine. Everybody else is just being dramatic. Shut up and move on. There was no in between there, and I think that's what I have the biggest issue with, Sean. Yeah, it, it was frustrating to watch. It was frustrating to to sit down and, and have to kind of digest it as it was happening because you, you saw Kentucky out of rhythm. You saw them out of sync. But even in the, the midst of not being able to get baskets, they missed free throws. Yeah. And if they hit free throws in that stretch or if they can just find – just get a bucket to go or, or something, maybe, maybe the game – maybe the outcome's different even without those guys on the floor. The, the thing that I keep coming back to, though – 
I watched the game last night. I watched it live. I watched it again before I went to bed, and then I watched it again this morning. And I'll, I always do three watches. I'll watch another one either late tonight, and then I'll flip the page and on to Georgia. But the, the thing that I keep coming back to from watching that second half is I really think that at no point in this fall or this winter has the, have they had a lineup in practice where they're working on things that didn't include Ty Ty Washington or Sevier Wheeler. Yeah. So, Sevier Wheeler. I think that that was evident in the final 10 to 12 minutes. As uh, when Ty Ty goes out, things just kind of just everybody's looking at one another. Mintz is the point guard. Uh, there were there was one play where Jacob Toppin and Keon Brooks were on the floor together, and I don't think that either one of them knew who the three was and who the four was on some of their sets. And they're kind of pointing, trying to figure it out, and then situations where they get into the, the, their offense with under 10 in the clock. Uh, th- that made it difficult. But at the same time, you would like to see somebody step up there and make a play. And there were plays there. They went to their Spain action a little bit with Oscar pinning down for Grady. And there were some duck-ins that Davion Mintz missed. And Oscar Sheboy's got to see that as well. There was one play, if Oscar just slips to the block, he's got a wide-open layup or a dunk. But he didn't see it, didn't recognize it. And then there's a wide-open duck-in. But LSU's ball pressure was so good that Davion Mintz saw the pressure and not the open play. So... A lot of that goes into it. I think you had a lineup on the floor that wasn't comfortable together. And what happens is when Davion has to play point and these other guys have to shuffle around, nobody is in that role where they're very good. That's why I keep coming back to saying this team is only good when it has all its pieces. Mm-hmm. And, and you saw that last night. If they have all their pieces, it's a team that's going to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. If they don't, it's an uphill climb because they, they don't have that true star. They can just go get it and take over. They have to do it together. And losing your point guard, Jack, for 36 minutes, that's a fatal blow. Yeah. I mean, I'm very – make no mistake. I think their fight and their ability to do what they were able to do down the stretch, where it was a back-and-forth, back neck-and-neck battle, if if that was how the game, uh, the trading baskets and, and the kind of hard nose. Uh, you, you know, back and forth. If that's how it unfolded the entirety of, of the game after Savir, I would say tip of the cat. That's an awesome basketball game against two very good basketball teams. Uh, you know, given the circumstances, unbelievable performance. Just to, And even still, how they were able to overcome that 12-minute adversity of, of, of only scoring one basket and three total points in that stretch, the way they were able to adjust down the fly and say, all right, screw it, w- throw out the last 12 minutes, Everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Davion, it's time to make something happen. Kellen, it's time to make something. You know, the fact that they, they then they kind of locked in and said, "All right, screw it, let's make this happen." You, you do have to admire that stretch, especially by Davion Mintz. He had a phenomenal end of the game, and he almost saved the day for for the Cats. He was that dagger thrower that Cal talked about last season. He finally got that moment, and I do want to give him props for that. But I, I do want to make it clear: yes, Ty Ty was out, and Savier was out, and that is a, a as you said, fatal, fatal blow for the Cats. But Pardon me, I expect a six-year senior in Davion Mintz, a fifth-year senior in Kellen Grady, uh, Oscar Sheboy, a junior, Keon Brooks, a junior, uh, Jacob Toppin, a junior, and then even, shoot, De- uh, Dante Allen, I know he got some run. I expect him to come in and do something. I'm just saying, that stretch of play, there were so many opportunities to 
seal the deal and, and make something out of nothing, even given the circumstances. That game, Kentucky should have won that game. And, and I don't think that like fans just assume that once those two players went down, that it was just like, well, chalk this one up as a loss. We'll move on to the next. This is just kind of a, an outlier of a game. And it, it ends up being one. And as we saw, we talked before the show started, uh, you know, breaking down some numbers with the net rankings and the, and the Ken Palm and all that. Nothing really changed between either of the teams after the game. And I think that's why the long-term optimism is there. Kentucky still grades out as an elite team on both ends of the floor, even after that loss. They're still a, a number nine in the Ken Palm rankings. And I think the net, they only drop one to what, what do they fall to, Sean? in the net uh only down one spot to 16th in the net and down to ninth and ken palm right. so not and, and lsu didn't even move in the net lsu right. still fifth yeah. so and, and that's the I, I told i told someone earlier today that you may look up tomorrow morning when we wake up and kentucky's back at 15th in the net after you play today's college basketball schedule uh there's opportunities there they, they've got to cash in though on some of these road opportunities moving forward yeah, I, I, that's kind of a th- – that's where a lot of that frustration stemmed from was that this was the resume boost game that uh, I think a lot of fans were hoping to secure because uh, of kind of that narrative out there by the national media that, oh, well, you know, Kentucky was able to beat the crap out of a bad no- no- uh, North Carolina team. They are able to beat the crap out of, you know, High Point and Missouri and, and uh, you know, those type of teams during this stretch, Western Kentucky – they're able to beat those type of teams, but they still have no strong wins on their schedule. I still beg to differ. I think that North Carolina win, I, I think that that's now a quad one win, right, Sean? It is. Yeah. It is a quad one win. And, and this, this game last night at LSU, it won't even be discussed in that room on Selection Sunday. It, it won't. It, I think it'll be the one that they throw away because you, you don't really know what Kentucky was. Without Savier, they're they're gonna. I think they'll take that into account when looking at it. There's so many more opportunities for Kentucky that this one's not going to find their resume. The the, the thing that's unfortunate though is it could have been one that you kind of leaned on, and it could have helped you. It doesn't kill you if you lose it, but it helps you a ton if you win it. Just like the next two, they don't help you if you win it, but they kill you if you if you lose them. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I, Vanderbilt's yeah. a little bit better off than what I thought they were going to be. Yeah, but even still, the the it's almost like the, uh, the the name brand thing that we talked about with with North Carolina. We know that North Carolina isn't the the North Carolina of, of in a traditional sense, the the team that that we're used to seeing year in and year out. But you look at that that schedule that went over North Carolina, given the circumstance, they had to adjust on the fly, had like twenty four hours notice that they were going to play them uh, out in Las Vegas. That. That will amount to a good win, even considering the fact that North Carolina isn't that great. Beating the crap out of the three teams that they beat the crap out of after that moment, uh, Western Western Kentucky, they played almost flawless basketball against them. Missouri beat the crap out of them. And then High Point, beat, I mean, that was the biggest win of the season, 44 points. They looked like they were the best team in college basketball that night. And, and it, that's it's just kind of a, a deflating because now you look ahead, Georgia is garbage and – uh, like you said, a win over them does nothing. You're expected to win that game. Vandy, they're a little bit better than advertised, but you still expect to win that game. The next true test for Kentucky to get some semblance of, of national respect is against Tennessee next Saturday. So we we won't be able to see that in action until January 15th, and I think that's 
that's kind of the letdown. It's like it just they had that moment right in front of them, and they just failed to execute so many times down the stretch. And now we have to wait until that January 15th moment to kind of build on that and see if they could kind of turn things around well, in that front. Well, we'll get this, though. So I'm looking at the uh, the team the team stuff, the resumes, and Vanderbilt right now would be a quad one victory. Interesting. Next, next Tuesday, Vanderbilt is 73 in the net, which means one through 75 road victory would be uh, qualified for a quad one. Vandy plays South Carolina before they play Kentucky. That, that has the opportunity to be a quad one road victory in Nashville for Kentucky. So that's a sneaky big game. So coming up, you've, uh, yeah, very interesting. That's what I was just sitting here thinking when I looked at that. So here's the schedule coming up. Uh, you're Georgia. It's a quad four game. And then you've got four straight quad one games. You've got at Vandy, Tennessee at Rupp, at Texas A&M is a quad one opportunity right now. And then at Auburn is a quad one. So four straight quad ones after Georgia. See, there you go. I mean, we the opportunity for building this resume is is there. So yeah, you know, I think that is that is fair to take into account. And and you know, I think that's kind of the the big overall takeaway from this is that yes, it, it is frustrating how the game unfolded and like the, the way you started the show by saying that this has no long term bearing of what this team can be because if, again if you stack those wins on top of the, uh, the other those what f- stretch of four straight four uh, potential quad one games or at least three I know that you rattled off you get three quad ones to stack on top of that North Carolina that's a quad one I mean then your resume starts looking pretty darn pretty darn good and I think that's when the the confidence of of the long term uh, you know can this team make a run those type of narratives I think that's where that starts coming back to and and, and Sean I do the, the, we still have a little bit of, of ins and outs of, of this game and kind of how it un, unfolded, but has your long-term optimism about this team and the fact that they can still make a run and, and the, the, the high-end ceiling and potential that they have, has that changed at all given last night and then, and then moving forward? Because it, it has not even in the slightest for me. Nothing's changed. Uh, honestly, I've, I feel like Kentucky's still on a four-game winning streak in my mind just because we didn't get to see them at full strength last night. And I'm not, I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm using that as a common sense evaluator here that we didn't get to see them with their point guard who leads the SEC and assist. That is a huge missing piece from that lineup last night. And then Ty-Ty goes out. If Ty-Ty's healthy down the stretch, does Kentucky have enough to win the game? It certainly helps their chances. Yeah. Uh, but, no, nothing's changed on my end. Now, if we look up here – in three weeks, and all those quad one opportunities, we have the same conversation going, man, Kentucky missed a resume builder there. Mm-hmm. Then maybe it starts to change because then you're starting to talk about your seating dropping because those opportunities aren't always going to be there. They they need to make some noise here over the next two to three weeks and then be in a really good spot going to Kansas late in the month to make a national national spotlight scene there and say, hey, now now we have a chance because, look, that's the that's the game that I'm kind of putting it on there where the fan base says we're going to win number nine or we're going to make a deep run is what happens in Lawrence later in the month. Yeah, that that will be the national national respect game. That'll be the one that uh, you start getting the ESPNs and CBS Sports and those things of the world that uh, you know that's when the the national respect starts to to roll in and and I I just I don't want fans to look at 
me saying that last night that one individual stretch and how they played down uh, down the wire and, and the, you know up until that last two minutes that 13 minute stretch where you say that that's unacceptable and that they imploded and those sorts of things because I do expect the 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 gold standard of college basketball the greatest tradition in college basketball I expect Kentucky to win those type of games even given the circumstance I, I don't want to make excuses for a team that's that's clearly capable you go down the list a, a six year guard in in Davion Mintz, a fifth year guard in Kellen Grady you expect a Keon Brooks and an Oscar Sheebway and even a Jacob Toppin to make make some something happen in in terms of putting points on the board. You expect a Dante Allen to even come in and, and knock down a three or even shoot. I, I think Bryce Hopkins was was very very bad to start the game. Uh, you know, I, I think that he could have come in and given you some type of spark offensively. I, I just I don't think it's fair to just kind of throw the game out as a that was an opportunity. It was a missed opportunity, but it doesn't mean anything in the long term. You, you could have short-term criticisms, but not long-term change of assessments and change of optimism moving forward. There can be a middle ground there, and that's just kind of something I wanted to, uh, to to clarify a little bit because I don't want fans thinking that like I thought they played poorly in a 12-minute stretch, and I said, well, Kentucky screwed, fire cow, everything in the season's gone to hell. Like That's just clearly not where my mind is. I, I literally wrote a post right after the high point game that this team was a contender, and it was time to start taking them seriously as a contender. That mindset still remains, but it's still 100% reasonable to expect a little more than three points in, in 12 minutes. That's kind of getting off of my soapbox and, and enough well, of my venting, but that's just kind of where yeah. where I was in the – 12 hours since the game ended and, and that's fair that's fair and then i know another topic we i think we should discuss and it, it's all opinion based and i tweeted this last night that whether to take a timeout or, or not to take a timeout it's honestly an opinion and we know cal's history and his track record there now he did say late in, or in the postgame press conference that he, he was screaming for a timeout there and, and when i tweeted that he took a timeout home it wasn't necessarily implying that one should have been taken or not. I mean, that's obviously his choice. He knows his team. He knows that moment and what they want to do. I just hate taking timeouts home in general. But in that moment, not after the Oscar turn or not before the Oscar turnover, when, when Oscar gets that steal, you don't call timeout there. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're trusting him to be able to take care of the ball and hit Kellen. I think Oscar got sped up mm-hmm. and threw it out of bounds. The only thing that the only reason I'm saying today after watching the game three times that I would have taken a timeout after that basket that put LSU up 63 to 60, and I get it, you don't take timeouts when you have to go the full length of the floor because you want to take out the, the half the floor, got the full court pressure. I get that, but I thought Kentucky was rattled after that play because it yes. was total chaos. Yeah. Kentucky gets a steal, and then here's the other side of this. Your lineup down three with 14 seconds to go on the road in Baton Rouge includes Lance Ware and Oscar Sheebway and Jacob Toppin on the floor together. Mm-hmm. And you're down three. That was the only reason I would have liked to have seen him call timeout was because I thought even though Dante Allen's not hit a shot in like a month, you got to put him out there just to have some respect and have some attention on him to maybe then get what you want. But but Davion, because essentially all you had to do was guard Davion Mintz and Kellen Grady and Kentucky wasn't getting anything from three-point range. And you had to have a three in that spot on the road. I, I didn't think a quick two because, I mean, then you have no timeouts. But I don't know. Like, it's it's easy to 
hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. Like you take it, you don't take it. You're getting letting LSU set up defensively, the number one efficient defense in Ken Palm. I just thought the way the game had flowed to that point and rattled because look, if there's two seconds or three seconds on the clock, John Calipari's calling timeout. Right to set something up. But, but right there in that moment, I just thought the way that they were rattled, they just had a wild sequence of events and a turnover. You kind of needed to reel them in. And, and maybe if you have Savir in the game, you don't call timeout. Yeah. And then you let them play. But when you're down your two point guards, you almost want to just say, Hey, look, let's do, let's get this. Let's get the ball here. Uh, but, but Hey, like I, I'm not going to criticize Cal for it or anything like that. I mean, it, it is what it is. It, it, it's one of those things in the moment you think, after the, you don't call it, and then you probably get on the team plane, you're thinking, man, I should have called it. Or if you call it and you don't get what you want, you're probably thinking, man, I shouldn't have called it. I just thought that they looked rattled after the turnover. I think the only criticism is the how he handled the post game. So if you remember after the Notre, Notre Dame game, exact same scenario, Kentucky has a, a, a an opportunity to to – score in the final seconds and make it a, a and, and potentially win the game. This was a tying the game situation, so slightly different. But, uh, again, one last possession type type play. Cal said after that game, uh, yeah, you guys know my track record. I usually don't call timeout in that, in that situation. Uh, if I were to do it over again, yeah, I think I would have just because I don't know if this team is, is ready to – do that by themselves. Well, okay. So you fast forward two weeks, three weeks, or however long it's been, and you're without your two lead guys at point guard. You you can very clearly see your team is flustered, and there was a there was uh, somebody posted the the late game film. I think with a minute twenty, it was right after the Davion Mintz three to cut it to three points, I believe, Sean, two, two or three. Yeah, I think it was 61-58. He cut it to three, and then uh, and Cal was in the ear of the ref wanting wanting a timeout. Well, that's what he said after the postgame. He said, well, I was in the ear of the ref, and I did try to call timeout. I just don't know if he heard me. Okay, those are very clearly different situations from what the fans are asking for was – Fans wanted the timeout with 14 seconds left when everything was going crazy and, and all was going to hell in those last you know 30 to, to 14 seconds, not a minute 30 left after a make. That's the that's the very clear difference that I wanted to make clear. Cal was Cal said that because yes, he is technically correct that late in the game he did try to call timeout and he wasn't granted one. But they showed the film after the 14 seconds uh, after they they inbounded the ball. Lance inbounded the ball after that. Oscar turnover led to the dunk. Oscar or uh, Lance passed the ball in, and when Cal was in the frame two seconds later, he was waving him on, saying "Go, go, 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 go." So that was clearly not the moment that that Cal was wanting to call a timeout. So I just I if there is a criticism, it's don't lead the fans on and, and make it seem like well I tried and and they didn't grant it to me, so I had to let them let them play it out. That's not how it unfolded. He had a timeout in that moment. If he really wanted to call one, he could have. Uh, I just wanted to, to clarify that on on his end as well because the film very clearly shows that he was waving them on in that last 14 seconds when Kentucky was down by three points, and then Davion Mintz t- turns the ball over, turns into a five-point game, and that's it. So there was a moment that Pitt fans were going. Uh, there wasn't a moment to call timeout. There was a moment to call call timeout. Cal did not try to call a timeout in that last 14 seconds, and that's how it unfolded. Whether you agree with the call or not, that's just that's just the facts. That's how it that's how it unfolded, Sean. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's why I'm saying like it. it Hans, that's 2020. You, you don't really know 
what the right decision there is in that moment. It's just, uh, it's, it's all a coach's opinion. And I, I just thought that, that watching it in the total chaos, I thought that maybe just settling them in might've been okay. But then again, we, we'd, we'd seen them come out of timeouts and out of under four timeouts and things like that and, and still be rattled. So I, I don't know, just, just a tough spot to be in, honestly. Yeah. And not, and I'll give Cal some slack a little bit too, because when you're without your top two guards, you know, you hadn't looked at that lineup very much. Uh, just as out of sync as the guys were on the floor, I'm sure as a head coach and the coaching staff, you're probably thinking the same thing. Like we're having to push buttons that we probably will never have to push again. Yeah. Thank, thank the good Lord, because I never want to see that lineup of Lance Ware, uh, Jacob Toppin and Oscar Sheboy ever again with the game on the line, because that was just a nightmare and a half. And I would prefer to never see it again. I know we got to get out of here shortly. I do want to ask you one question because there is something on the minds of a lot of Kentucky fans right now, and there is a big storyline on the horizon, and I do want to. Uh, it, it, it wouldn't be a Source to Say podcast if we didn't address the you know some of the bigger bigger overarching issues that are not issues, but, but things that are on the horizon for this program, and that's the imminent arrival of Shaden Sharp. He is on campus. Uh, he is going to start practicing on Thursday with the team. And now the question is, will he play? I believe there's a chance that we see him on the bench on Saturday against Georgia. I don't think he's officially eligible to play a game until January 11th uh, due to uh, that's when the, the spring semester technically starts. So that's when he's his eligibility officially begins. So I just do want to ask you that question, Sean. Now that he's on campus and you've seen how the season has unfolded, you saw what happened uh, in Baton Rouge. Do you see Shaden Sharp playing the season? Do, do I give you the coach speak? <laughs> is, give, is that what give, you want me to give you? Give, give both. Whatever, whatever you're feeling at this beautiful moment. <laughs> I said yesterday that I think he plays, but I just don't know if it's the role that people think he's going to have. I mean, it's the consensus number one player in the country coming in. He He's going to have an opportunity. I think from a coaching standpoint, you prepare him to play. Because if you get in a situation like last night or with COVID protocols, we, we know that at some point something's going to be affected by COVID, whether it be Kentucky's games or something with Kentucky's roster, you, the, just the, the world we live in right now, you need that depth. And that was a game last night. Had that been February 4th, Shade Sharp probably gets some run in that game. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. So, so I'm starting, and that's where I'm coming from, that I don't think – I mean, I don't think he's going to be penciled in as a starter – a month from now, uh, but if he comes in and he he has very good practices and he buys into a role that is not being a star, then I don't see any reason why you don't give him an opportunity and give him a chance. Uh, you never know. You you expand your options, you add more depth, and you get in a situation like last night, then you certainly would love to have another guy over there to go to. Yeah, I think it's going to come down. Definitely wouldn't help their ball handling issues, though, in the second half. That wouldn't have been where he helped. No, unfortunately, that might be his biggest weakness. He is a pure, uh, I'm going to go get you a bucket type guy. He is not a, I'm going to bring the ball up the floor and be your primary ball handler. So let's just, yeah, let's let's slow the roll there. That, that if there's one weakness that he has, it is it is that. So let, let's just keep that in mind. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think Cal's right. He is going to 
play wait and see with him. Cal said that we just want to see what he is when he gets here. We have no plan to play him right now. There is no like secret formula that we've been waiting for his arrival and he's going to be the final piece of the puzzle type deal. That That's never been a conversation. I genuinely wholeheartedly think that they are going to see where he is in his development. If, if they come in, I have been told from people that have seen Shaden behind the scenes and, and watched him recently, uh, you know, kind of playing in the later high, high school circuit that he has been bored he has been waiting for some semblance of a real challenge, and that's part of the reason why he wanted to just get out of high school and say, all right, I'm clearly head over – head uh, one solid head above everybody else in, in this class. I need to uh, you know, kind of match my talent, match my competition level. There's a reason why he's making this jump when he is because he's just bored at the current level he's, he is right now. So I think that they're going to they're gonna put him to the test. They're going to, you know, play him in practice and, and run him in scrimmages, see how he goes against Kellen Grady and Davion Mintz and the guys on the wing that they already have now. And I genuinely think if they think he's ready, they're going to play him. If they think that, okay, well, you know, he's clearly – uh, a little bit behind in this and this and this and this. That they, you know, we'd like to get his body right. Then he won't play. I, I don't think that there's a set plan, and I know it is kind of coach speak, like you said. Uh, but I do think that this is a the perfect wait and see. If he comes in and he's ready, I think he's going to play. If he's not, uh, that I don't think he's going to. And I think that's the latest of of what you're going to hear from anybody. I, I think that the, the staff has no idea what they want to do right now with him. They just want to get him in, get the practice rolling, get him a jer- get a jersey on him, and and then go from there and figure out. Uh, what the heck you want to do with him? So, I uh, I would personally love to see him just because I'm I'm a big fan of his game and and you know covered him and as a recruit for a while and I'd like to see what he could bring to the table. But uh, my expectations for him have not changed. I, I'm still playing the wait and see game just like UK is. And if he's if he's good enough, Sean, it'd be one hell of a of an addition down the stretch. He, he there's no way he hurts the team with with his addition in practice and just have another scoring option to kind of throw at the guys in practice. So that that'll help down the stretch too. I do remember that Hamadou Diallo year. He was a solid practice piece down the stretch uh, with that De'Aaron Fox Malik Monk team, and you saw how well they kind of connected late in the year, and so it it, it couldn't hurt that team either. So I don't know why that would be any different with this one either. So definitely a wait and see game, but one that I think Kentucky fans are quite excited for, Sean. Yeah, absolutely. It just adds another storyline that we're going to be talking about for the for the next few weeks. Uh, but anytime you can add the number one player in the country to your roster regardless of whether it's november january february uh you're you're getting better even if that means he doesn't play in games it's another quality guy in practice that can help you uh but uh, but i think that they're at least going to give him a fair evaluation uh maybe talk to him and if he buys into a role to help this team in any way possible that's that's a good thing Yep, absolutely. We'll see how that unfolds in the very near future, Sean. Let's get out of here. I know that we're a little over on time, but I appreciate you as always. Long story short, be optimistic moving forward. Everything is fine with this team. They still are the contenders that you thought they were in your head. You can't use this as a long-term assessment of this team, but still it's okay if you have some temporary short-term gripes about how the game unfolded both situations are completely okay let's not live in an extremist world where it's one extreme or the other things can be down the middle sometimes so 
let's just uh, leave the show at that, Sean. We have one final message before we get out of here. The NBA season is well underway, and there isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite former Wildcats play than by playing Daily Fantasy with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and just pits you against the numbers, whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual basketball fan looking to add some excitement to the games. Prize Picks is the perfect game for you. You simply select two to five players and predict if they will go over or under their projection, Prize Picks gives you the chance to win 10 times your money for getting four or five predictions correct. You can have picks across sports as well with the NFL playoffs quickly approaching. Add in some of those players to your picks with their over-under projected receiving, rushing, or passing yards. Download the Prize Picks app or visit prizepicks.com and sign up using the promo code PILGRIM. That's P-I-L-G-R-I-M to get an instant 100% bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Don't forget that's the Prize Picks app or PrizePicks.com in the promo code Pilgrim to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your favorite former Kentucky starts to the next level. Sean, let's get out of here. Working fans, find your work. You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can find me on Twitter as well at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. Jam-packed.